Well, I'd like to welcome you to our Authenticity event sponsored by the Center for Pastoral Leadership and Preaching. My name is Dr. John Ewart. I direct the center. I'm also the Associate Vice President for Global Theological Initiatives. Uh, if you've been on our website before, you know that we're recording several resources for you in the local church as well as for our students. If you look around the website, you'll notice that we have uh, material for weddings and funerals. We have material for the Lord's Supper and now we want to finish our workshops with this workshop on baptism. We're going to spend the first part of this time together in a panel discussion with some of our faculty and also with a local pastor. And then later we're going to do a demonstration of baptism uh, just so that you'll be able to see how we do baptism or some of the concepts from history and the scriptures as well as some examples and stories that we have. So thanks for joining us. I also want to extend our appreciation to the historic Wake Forest Baptist Church for allowing us to be in their sanctuary for today's workshop and for allowing us to use their baptistry. Uh, they're located right here on our campus and so we appreciate very much their willingness to share their facility with us today. And for those who are here with us live, as well as the many, many others who'll be watching this video via the website. Uh, I do want to ask you if you would to promote our new website, the pastorcenter.sebts.edu. If you'll share that with your friends, you'll, you'll notice all the resources that you're looking at right now that we're going to continue to record more and more and also start seeing the blog there from local pastors as well as our faculty about pastoral ministry issues. So thanks for joining us today. And I also want to thank our panel for being here with us. We have a, a great panel for today's workshop. I want to thank uh, Dr. Keith Harper uh, for being with us. He is our senior professor of Baptist studies the guru of all things uh, historical, especially Baptist history. Um, and also Dr. Charles Quarles, we call him Chuck Quarles. Uh, he directs our PhD studies and is also a professor of New Testament as well as biblical theology. So that's gonna be very helpful. And Dr. Randy Mann, my friend, local pastor, lead pastor at uh, Central Baptist Church in Henderson. We're glad that you're with us again. And Randy's done a, a few of these with us and is always helpful. I, I, I kind of represent old pastors and Randy kind of re represents new cool pastors. And so we thought we would, uh, we would get the cross section here. I was a pastor for 20 something years and I have a few stories about baptism that we'll share together. But we're gonna start, dive right in with some biblical and theological foundations, which we always do, uh, which is one of the reasons why we like to have a combination of, of our faculty and local pastors to make sure that we're talking about the the biblical theological, but also the applied theology for all of that. So let's start with Dr. Quarles. Dr. Quarles, let's talk for a moment about scripture. We don't want to leave anything out uh, today. So we want to say the things that we need to say. So let's talk about a biblical theological definition of baptism. And then let's just start discussing, reflecting on scripture from the Old Testament, and the New Testament about, about baptism, about our teachings about baptism. So Dr. Quarles, share with us about uh, a, a good biblical definition as well as some scriptural background. All right. I think a decent biblical definition of baptism would be that baptism is the immersion of the believer in Jesus Christ. He has trusted Christ as God, Savior, and King. And this immersion in water is a symbolic act of obedience that portrays the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ and our union with him in those saving events and finally anticipates our coming bodily resurrection from the dead at the time of Christ's return. Uh, biblical baptism has a proper subject. 
It's a disciple, a believer in Christ who's repented of his sins. A biblical baptism has a proper meaning, a symbolic act of obedience. It's not a saving sacrament, and it has a proper mode. It's immersion as opposed to sprinkling or pouring or something like that. And let's be clear about, especially that last point, the idea that baptism is immersion um, is not only a, a theological concept, but it's actually, it's actually derived from the word itself. Um, sometimes I wish, and this is probably just my opinion, which I have strange ones at time, I know, but sometimes I wish we didn't really transliterate that word the way we did. I almost wish we would just translate baptizo into immersion, and then I think some confusion would be lessened. Right. Uh, but the word can't mean in its linguistic value, it cannot mean to sprinkle. It does not mean to, to drop water upon someone. What, what does the word mean? Right. Uh, the Greek word baptizo uh, ordinarily means to immerse. Uh, and what you're referring to might need a little bit of definition. Uh, Dr. Ewart has distinguished between translation and transliteration. And translation is bringing the meaning of a word in another language over into a second language. Transliteration is just spelling out the sound of a word in another language in a second language. And the point that he's making is the word baptizo in Greek means in English, immerse. Uh, baptize is just bringing across the sound of the Greek word, not the meaning of the Greek word into English. And there's a reason that that was done in some of our respected Bible translations. Uh, when King James authorized the authorized version, he specifically said that old ecclesiastical words were to be used, retained in the translation. He was upset that in some other translations influenced by uh, Puritans and Reformers that words like washing had been used to translate baptizo. And he wanted to go back to the old baptize because, frankly, that meant any person could define it however they wanted to. The word baptize didn't mean anything to them apart from their traditions. Yeah, that's interesting. So, so Dr. Harper, is, as, as the church grew uh, and developed, obviously, some um, different teachings about baptism developed. Um, and, and many of the different teachings about baptism still exist today. Uh, whether or not salvation occurs through baptism, whether or not a child should be baptized, and these different methods and these different modes and these different messages and the different theology that developed over the years. Is there any way you could summarize first? Tell us about the Baptist development of baptism, our understanding of baptism, how that came about, and just some of the historical development of both the doctrine and the method, methodology. Well, as far as baptism itself is concerned, Dr. Quarles is, is right in that baptism is by immersion, and today that's one of the hallmarks of Baptist distinctives in terms of who we are when you're compared to any other kind of uh, Christian religious group. Early Baptists, at least early Baptists in Great Britain, were identified, though, not by how they observed baptism, that is, in the mode of baptism, but rather in what they believed about salvation. And salvation, then, was an extension of what they thought about what salvation was, was all about. So whenever a person was baptized, 
they baptized them not as infants, but they baptized them as adults. And it was certainly a reflection and a theologically grounded reflection of the Baptist approach to salvation, uh, what it meant to be saved. Uh, and that was for adults. That was not for infants. That was not for people who could not make a conscious decision or at least articulate a conscious decision uh, to be baptized or at least to articulate something that had happened to them as far as their, uh, as far as their salvation was concerned. As far as Baptists go, uh, into the 19th century, uh, there was a movement, uh, the Church of Christ, Alexander Campbell, uh, and something about baptism that completed your salvation. Once again, baptism tied directly back to the doctrine of soteriology or how a person becomes a Christian. And um, they looked like Baptists. They sounded like Baptists. They practiced baptism by the same mode of baptism, but they didn't do it for the same end. It was unto salvation for them. And there's a big difference in that. Sure. I was, in, I was actually in Mexico last week teaching for our Global Theological Initiative, one of our partners there, in a, in a wonderful leaders from all across Mexico were in our master's class. And we actually got to talking about sacramental theology. We were talking about the historical development of evangelism, which I know is a, a, a key issue that Dr. Mann has talked about even in my classes. And, uh, and we were talking about the development of sacramental theology. Of course, they, they are in a very um, Roman Catholic um, type culture at times. And so their discussion about the way salvation occurs and baptism, et cetera, are, are part of their normal day-to-day -day life. So, so let, let's talk about sacramentalism for a moment. Let's talk about and make sure we're very clear about uh, what we believe about baptism, what baptism is, what baptism is not, those kinds of things. Dr. Quarles, won't you comment on that? Sure. I'd be happy to. Uh, the, the word sacrament just means mystery. And at points in history, the word sacrament has been applied even by Baptists to baptism in a way that is harmless. Uh, what we have to do here, though, is make the distinction that older theologians made between sacramentalism and sacramentarianism. Uh, sacramentalism referred to baptism as a saving rite that uh, washed away sins, united us with Christ, something like that. Whereas sacramentarianism, which is our Baptist view, viewed baptism as a symbolic act of obedience. Now, sacramentalism, the idea that baptism saves or washes away sins, actually has a rich history. I think we can trace it all the way back to first century Corinth. Uh, there's some good evidence that the Corinthians were sacramentalists. Uh, they believed that baptism and the Lord's Supper somehow guaranteed their salvation. But Paul combats that in 1 Corinthians 10 by comparing an Old Testament event to a New Testament event. He says to the Corinthians, remember that the Old Testament Israelites were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. When they pass through the Red Sea, they've got a wall of water on each side. They've got the cloud over their head. So they're in a sense immersed as they move from their bondage in Egypt toward the promised land. Paul refers to that as a baptism into Moses. But then he goes on to say, don't forget, their bodies were scattered all over the desert. They came under the judgment of God despite the fact that they had received that baptism because of their idolatry, their sexual immorality, their rejection of spiritual leadership, which just happened to be the very sins that the Corinthians are committing 
that Paul has to address. And so his strong message to the Corinthians is, do not think that your participation in this symbolic act is going to protect you from the wrath of God or is going to guarantee your forgiveness of sin. If you repeat the sins of Old Testament Israel, even though you were baptized into Christ, you can expect to receive the same judgment that those that were baptized into Moses received. I think that is the clearest rebuttal of sacramentalism that you'll find anywhere in the New Testament. Yeah, that's really good. So, as Southern Baptists, um, Dr. Harper, where, where really did we refine, and I know there's, there's still variants within the Southern Baptist Convention, oh, maybe not, a, I mean, about everything, right? <laughs> but, yes. <laughs> but maybe not so much about the meaning of baptism, I pray, sometimes about the application of that meaning and the mode and several things that we're going to talk more about, some of the practical issues. But, uh, but as Southern Baptists today, where did we kind of finally end up with our current belief about baptism? Southern Baptists today, uh, I would argue that up until maybe a generation ago, pretty well almost had what you would call a, a consensus view of what baptism was all about. They had a consensus view on who a proper candidate was. They had a consensus on what the proper mode was. They had a consensus on the proper authority to baptize being in the hands of a local church. And that was, that was pretty well taken for granted from 1845, uh, essentially up into the mid 20th century. And I would argue that toward the end of the 20th century, you begin to see a lessening of that consensus over issues bearing on uh, uh, well, uh, issues on when you baptize someone, uh, the younger, uh, that's, that's something that has definitely changed within the last generation because it's nothing now uh, in some Southern Baptist churches to see some very young people baptized. Average age for baptism in the 19th century was going to be much older, somewhere around 20 to 22 years old, maybe into the early teens along in there. But over time, what we have seen is younger people going into the baptistry. And we've uh, changed the emphasis, I think, or at least there is a sort of changing theology right now on the emphasis on a celebratory uh, uh, right, in, in some cases, uh, even to the point where you get into multiple baptisms, uh, spontaneous baptisms, they're called, and so forth. And uh, that's a fairly recent event. That's interesting. And we want to follow up on that maybe, <clears throat> maybe in our next session when we talk about pre-baptismal issues, um, we want to address who should be baptized, when they should be baptized, and really discuss some of these pre-baptismal considerations, counseling, care, all that kind of thing. Before, before we leave this, let's, let's, let's bring Dr. Mann into this. All of us have practical pastoral experience and, and, and certainly local church experience. How, how would we teach our people well about understanding baptism? Um, not simply in a reactive way when someone needs to be baptized, but proactively so that we're, we're teaching them ahead of time uh, about this incredible doctrine as well as this ordinance of the church. Um, what are some ideas that, that you might have? Dr. Mann, you might lead us off, but anyone just jump in. Some, some good ideas, some good practices that you've seen or that you've practiced yourself. 
Well, I think part of it has to do with just an understanding of our responsibility as shepherds in the local church to, to preach the whole counsel of God. Um, and so, obviously, with this being such a, an important and central and visible element of what it means to know and follow Christ, some would call it, you know, the first act of obedience after salvation, um, that we would give it um, not just attention in the sense of trying to preach the whole counsel of God, but certainly not less than that. Um, because of the necessity of it. Now, uh, in addition to that, obviously, uh, the key is let's make sure that we are firmly rooting our teaching about baptism in the Scripture, uh, as we would hope to do with anything that we're teaching in the local church. But, you know, again, there, there are uh, cultural factors that are going to perhaps taint uh, a person's view or understanding of baptism or that might even in, be, be prone to influencing us and so we've got to be very careful that what we are saying about baptism and the way that we're leading people toward uh, a right view of baptism is rooted in the very text of Scripture uh, as opposed to cultural or other kinds of, you know, things that might pressure us in that way. Um, you know, one of the things that I think is really important is, is not just us from um, the pulpit teaching on baptism, which I think is important. And, you know, I try at least once or twice a year uh, to have a, a very central um, focus on the issue of baptism, one, in a teaching sense, and two, as a call to obedience sense, knowing that there would likely be those sitting out there that um, perhaps have an issue uh, with regard to either, either having failed to walk in obedience to Christ in baptism at all, or uh, to where the order of their baptism might be misordered, where perhaps they were baptized as a young child or something of that sort, uh, later come to a place of truly putting their faith and trust in Jesus. And now, because of uh, baptismal order, uh, as taught in the scripture, being believers' baptism, uh, that they need to get that thing straight. And so having an opportunity, at least with some frequency, um, I would say, you know, keeping that in front of people, again, not only from a doctrinal sense, but a sense of a call to obedience to the command of Christ. One other thing I would say about that is the importance of, um, we talk about parents being the primary disciplers of their kids. Um, what we don't always do so well then is, is resourcing parents and equipping parents to be better disciplers of their kids. And so I think one important thing is, is making sure that we're doing everything we can to provide resources to parents about all aspects of helping their children come to understand salvation, but then also uh, walking in obedience to all the things that Christ commanded. And in part, I think that helps, means help resourcing parents on some uh, things that would help them also teach their children about what baptism is, why it's important, so that when those questions come, you know, mom, dad, I want to be baptized. Well, then the parents in the home are prepared to begin answers to those questions as opposed to panic and, hey, let's get you to the pastor to talk about these things. And that'll be a great transition for our pre-baptismal discussions in a moment. Any other best practices before we close this session out as far as the proactive teaching of examples you've heard of or seen? I know that in, in my pastoral experience, we, we included this in, in our discussions with new members not necessarily new members who needed to be baptized, uh, but even those who are joining from transfer or other means to where in all of our new member training, we taught what we believed about the Lord's Supper. We taught what we believed about baptism. We taught what 
Uh, we even taught about how we would deal with weddings and things like that as far as the practical stuff, but it was actually a part of our new member classes and it got built into our adult discipleship processes because of that and ongoing, even some of the small group studies we would do like that. We would always, um, every so often, have a, a lesson or some kind of study about our ordinances. And then when, when we would baptize, um, often those days, the message itself would be very much focused upon um, a baptism itself to where it would be a, a sermon of teaching, perhaps. Um, I'm an expositional preacher as well, but there m- might have been those moments where that day we would have a selected text that would really focus upon the same thing with Lord's Supper. That when, I, when we observed the Lord's Supper, the message was often about the Lord's Supper so that we could proactively teach those who might be sitting in the congregation that this was a need or this was a question or they were coming from some other background so that they could, uh, they could learn about what we believed about what Scripture taught. Well, thank you for, thank you for this, gentlemen. We're going to continue. This, this will end session one. We're going to come back in session two, and we're going to talk about some of the real, real issues that you deal with in ministry. How do I counsel someone about baptism? How do we decide when someone's ready for baptism? Uh, how young, how old, and we're going to talk about things. Should you baptize on the youth retreat <laughs> and on the short-term mission trip and some of those issues that actually come up in real life. So thanks for joining us for session one. Join us for session two. We'll see you there in just a moment.